Greetings, ladies and mental gents, and welcome to this patch video for the web novel First Contact, written by Ralts Bloodthorn, which is available on both Royal Road and HFY. The links for them will be down below. And as always, I hope that you enjoy, and if you do, please consider supporting the channel. First Contact, Chapter 56, Vuxton. It was a fight one side thought that they wanted to fight, the other side didn't want to fight. To one side, victory was inevitable. Simple mathematics. To the other, victory was always in doubt, as fate often snatched defeat from the award show victory and passed it to all the other participants. One was used for winning eventually. They knew nothing else. The other side knew victory and defeat and had clawed their way to every victory building on mountains of bones and corpses of the previous battles to plant the flag and take the last deep inhale of breath that counts as the most and scream rage at the insane universe. The other one just left the bones of the bodies where they fell. The dead did not matter. Both sides were terrible in their power. Countless systems had fallen to both sides' power, efficiently, ruthless, and designs. They had boiled oceans, stripped entire worlds of life, decimated species, altered ecosystems, and stripped mind anything that was useful to them. While both had been defeated, neither side had ever been beaten. One side was convinced they never could be. The other side fought like the insane to keep them from being beaten. But, like all wars, between the combatants and their weaponry and bloodshed, there were those who only wanted to keep their heads down and survive another day. Vuxton was one of those people. A small being, Vuxton was barely four feet tall, with wide ears and the top of his head, big, expressive eyes, sleek fur and dappled pattern of brown, black and gold, balls on his feet and hands, and a wide mouth from branch-chewing teeth, and a life of quiet desperation. He had a wife who looked very much the same except for her short tail that wagged when she was nervous or excited. He had two brood carriers, loving and gentle creatures, who looked much like Vuxton except for a longer body, longer and silkier and softer fur, long, soft, bushy tails that could curl completely under their stomachs to protect the podlings they gave birth to. Buxton and his wife had worked his entire life to pay off the debts of their ancestors, had worked hard to support their little family, had never complained, not even privately, about their lot in life that they had been born into. He and his family had avoided unnecessary luxuries, like Tri-D instead of Vidcom, wore paper shoes and clothing rather than purchase cloth, ate Nutri-Paste with as little flavoring as possible and made each credit go as far as they could stretch it. Theirs was a life of cradling close the luxury and pleasure of finding a real leaf blown from the ruler's garden and into the street. A small life with sweetness to be found if one took the time to savor it and not gobble it down. And hid it quietly, desperately, nearly content. Then the Terrans had arrived and Vuxton had found himself thrust into something far bigger than himself, bigger than his family, bigger than his entire world had been. 
which is why he found himself clad in body armor, holding onto a rifle with one hand and standing next to a pterosaur descent human and staring at a street of what had once been living thinking creatures but was now covered in chunky paste and vaporized tissue, surrounded by Paul's worth of co-workers and a few humans. Uster got to her faceplate open and bent down and vomited up the nutri-paste that she'd eaten for dinner. Lieutenant, we got blue and green and blue and pink, Sergeant suddenly said, Wuxton hearing him perfectly in his helmet. Sergeant Ugalaga's name was appearing on Wuxton's visor. Secure the area, protect the civilians, evacuate those you can. Be aware, many more forces are in the area and or en route. Green forces have gone red in many areas. Refugee area conditions are coming. Lieutenant Ben Spoon's voice came through the helmet. Roger that, sir. I'll keep you updated, Sergeant warned. Oster wiped the mouth and straightened up. Chew the piece of gum, Oster. Corporal Lackar said. Oster nodded at her face shield closed again. She chinned the dispenser and a pink disc popped out. Oster used her tongue to pull the paste mouth and started chewing. All right, soldiers. Our troops here aren't used to the total silence that we've been trained to. Leave your comma open and signal band and they can hear us talk, Sergeant said. Troopers, pop a piece of gum in and chew it if you have not. Buxton looked at each of his fellow troopers, their names popping up near their armor when he looked at them for long. Staring at the human sergeant was Dutra, the prestelic male who, like Buxton, had run on floor polisher for years. His rifle was hanging from the magnetic's attached sling, his face horrified, his eyes wide. The Freshdelek was a biped with four arms and two legs, thick, dark pebble hide and a small line of blunt spikes down his back. His people came from a world far away. He was still working off his great-grandparents' transportation costs. Kikiki and Aikiki, avian whose eggs had left the armored transport, something heavily armed and jet black called a dropship, whose husband had only time to brush Kikiki's wingtips as she left the dropship. Her helmet was extended out to allow for her beak. She was chewing the gum and stared at the window that the human lacquer had thrown the overseer through. Across the street and thirty feet up, Lisa Vash was a Saurian, a lizard people. Like the rest of his race, his tail had been amputated at birth. Like Dürter, he was paying off his ancestors' transportation costs from another world. His black eyes were wide and as he stared at the dead overseers, as if he couldn't believe that they had actually been killed. Uster was a Talcan like Vuxton. He was married, her brood carrier swollen with podlings that were nearly ready to be birthed. She was grim-looking, holding onto her rifle, pretending that she had not vomited. Vuxton looked at the humans. Three of them were larger and bulkier than the fourth. Vuxton knew that he was labeled SFC Ulganga, but Vuxton and all the others called him Sergeant by his title. The other three were labeled when they spoke or if Vuxton looked at them long enough. They were humans from some place called Terran Confederacy who had come to try and protect the solar system from the machines that even now attacked. Ancient war machines who believed that the universe's resources were finite and only one could benefit from them, so sought to eliminate any rivals. Buxton didn't know that much about humans, only that they were tremendously strong, incredibly fast, and now he knew that being shot in the forehead with a heavy ion pistol didn't even move their armored heads. 
All right, everyone breathe. I'm going to try and get a handle on this greased chicken frick, Sergeant said. Keep your eyes peeled, the human mixin said. Buxton's armor had an omni-translator that struggled with what the mixin had said for a moment before displaying, keep a highly alert watch, do not peel away from parts of eyes, in the corner. Up high, two o'clock, the human Donovan said. Buxton's armor put a flashing arrow for him to follow with his gaze. A huge burning disc was in the sky, drifting away from the city, out towards the oceans. As Buxton watched, lights came down from the sky, striking repeatedly, silently. It broke into multiple pieces, and more lights came out of the sky, striking at the parts. Malark class precursor resource extraction vessel peered on the inside of Buxton's face shield. There was a low rumble of explosions that washed over the small group in the Lankalan Overseer's security truck. It was an explosion after explosion, overlapping and following each other, coming from miles away, shaking the air. Space Force and the Navy are tearing crap up, the human Lakar said, his voice soft. Those are battleships' main battery strikes. Never seen them used to hit a target in the atmosphere. Buxton looked over at Mixon with a human spoke. I have... Akital Deneb War. You said it before, Sergeant, Donovan asked. Yeah, Limbo 325. When I was a kid, Sergeant said. Oh, all three said. Enough of jawjacking. We need to get moving. LT gave us our orders, Sergeant said. He's climbing around into the front seat. There is only a nearby hospital, full maternity ward, bottlings, egg incubators, brood carriers, the whole nine yards. The harbor truck lifted off, its vans blowing water all over the streets. Buxton noted that the liquid that hit the front of the armored shelter across was reddish slurry. Sergeant, hold up, Mixon said, slapping his armored hand against the top of the driver's cab. The truck stopped and Mixon jumped out. You guys help me, these barriers might come in handy. You have five mics, Sergeant said. Buxton's visor translated it to five minutes. Buxton jumped out, rushing, helping turn off the repulsor fields and loading them back into the truck next to the laser cannon, which sagged forward from where it had been damaged. The rifle had magnetically attached to the back of Buxton's armor, keeping it out of the way as he hurried and worked. They didn't have them all, but they had a lot of them when Sergeant called time and they rushed back to the vehicle. Buxton had noticed that while it was an effort for him to carry one, the humans had Kikiki and Slisavash load them up ten high in the armored arms and practically ran back to the vehicle. As soon as everyone was in, Sergeant goosed the fans and truck wailed as the fans drove it into the city streets. The laser cannon barrage had cleared at the immediate area around the shelter, but within two blocks the crowd started surging. Buxton saw limousines and other vehicles slamming through the crowds and crushing bodies. One struck the side of the harbor truck and Mixon drew his pistol, put two shots into the windshield's microplast, blowing it into splinters, and the limousine slewed into the side, the upper half of the driver missing. Buxton saw that his armor was downloaded in the floor plan of the hospital. Four floors were highlighted. Langtelan Military Ward, Neo-Sapien Birthing Ward, Langtelan Pediatric Ward, Neo-Sapien Child Ward. The change in terms made Vuxen frown. His visor was showing him a map of the back-loading docks to an elevator to the Neo-Sapien Ward. Nixon Donovan checked the maternity ward. If the hospital doesn't have psychic shields, get a grip on your guts. 
Sergeant ordered. The rest of you will come with me to the Neosapien ward. We'll get a headcount, prioritize, and go from there. Sergeant pulled off the street, slamming the harbor tank through the alley, trying to avoid the main streets, which were rapidly becoming full of panicked beings. He went slow, pushing people with the harbor fans, cursing as he did so. It took forever to Vuxen, but Sergeant pulled into a parking lock, spun the hover tank a 180 degrees arc, and slammed the back against the loading dock. Leave the back locked, Sergeant ordered. Let's get a move on. Lacar, stay at the vehicle. See if you can scare us up a dropship or something bigger. The doors into the hospital were marked as no admittance and was locked, but Muxen tore it off with a single hand. Vuxen and the other troopers followed Sergeant to the elevator. The elevator was pinging that it was security locked, but Sergeant put his armored palm against the control panel, and less than a second it moved to emergency services mode, and started moving. No psychic shields, this is gonna be a crap show, Mixon said. Save who you can, Sergeant ordered, his voice tight. St. Doss, protect them. The elevator stopped and the Lanclan at the door opened. The Lanclan, heavy with child, charged into the elevator, swinging a broken off bludged length of metal. Three of her eye sockets were empty, one jewel taken away, one arm broken. Her swollen belly bulged without a sense or reason. The infant inside fighting and kicking and ripping as its mother. Jesus, digital Christ, Mixon yelled, slamming back against the back of the elevator as a crazed Lanclan tried to impale him with the metal. The jagged ended bar had just slid across the armored stomach. Another pregnant Lanclan charged the elevator. The doors started closing and two more appeared charging to the closing doors. Don't, lady, please stop, Mixon yelled. There was a bright flash, then another, and then two more. Almost overloading Vuxton's visor. Scorched blood sprayed across Vuxton, his visor clearing instantly, covering the walls and the armor of everyone inside. The streak of light missing Vuxton by a foot, punching through the elevator wall, or wall Lanctalan dropped in place. Mixon had left half holding the dead Lanctalan's forward body. He made a sound of horror and threw the dead overseer to the side. Slee and Keek both vomited. Sergeant had shot them all through the midsection, cutting them in half. We can't help them, Sergeant said, putting his hand on the panel. The elevator rose, the doors not quite closed. We'll bypass Lanclan Peds, Sergeant said. He's still tight. Heasley and Keek both straightened up, their face shields closing. Usta and Dutra were chewing rapidly and Vuxton knew that they had tabbed more gum to chew on. Good advice, Mixon said, his voice shaky. Peds floor, Sergeant said. The elevator stopped in the maternity ward. The doors opened with a jerk. The Aikiki female clad in Neosapien nurse's uniform ran in screaming, holding a potted plant in her hands. I won't let you hurt them, she screamed, and she began smashing the armored humans with the plastic potted plant. Frantically flailing around herself, her eyes were wild, tears down her cheeks and neck, and she had bad feathers pulled from her torso. Debris and chunks flew from the elevator, thrown from behind a hasty form barricade and desperate-looking beings. No, no, no. Easy, lady, easy, Denovan said, backing up. The pot was hitting him across the face and chest. Vuxen knew it wasn't hurting him, that the human was letting her smash at him too with the pot. Terran military, the sergeant snapped. 
The Aikiki jerked, dropping the plant, looking at Sergeant, whose visor was now clear. The shout had stopped the hail of debris. Do you need assistance? Sergeant asked, his voice soothing. Buxton saw his visor flash, subsonics in play up at the top. The Aikiki, normally a reserved race, collapsed with Mixie. Help us! Um, help us! The overseers, they're trying to kill, kill all the little ones. May we come in? The sergeant asked. Please, please, the Aikiki said, still grabbing but unable to grip the sergeant's armor. Help us! Please. Donovan, go in, start prioritizing. Slee, Usta, and Dutra with him. Get me a count, sergeant said. Lakar, do you read? I read you, sergeant, Lakar answered. You keep that loading dock clear. Authorization for lethal force, including green on blue, sergeant snapped. Roger, Sergeant, Lacan answered. The Rio is dropping a marine drop pods in the city. The big human, Donovan, left the elevator. Ustra, Slee, and Dutra followed. The Aikiki bobbed her head and followed, tears running from her eyes. Lacan, get me a scan of the cargo transport bay on that vehicle. We're going to have a lot of kids and the mothers to get into that refugee site. Sergeant ordered, as he passed his hand against the controls of the elevator and started moving again. And as a kitty kitty carrier and a Fido ground patrol, they're gonna need him. The elevator went up two floors and the door started opening. Terran military, we're here to provide assistance. Sergeant called out. Again, Buxton's visor flashed the subsonics warning and his hearing was strangely muffled. There was a small group of beings, all in hospital paper uniforms, holding onto makeshift weapons in the elevator waiting area. They all stopped mid-step, weapons dropping. Do you need assistance? Sergeant asked, stepping out of the elevator and holding his arms up to his sides, his elbows bent impossibly into an interior arc, his hands open and up by his head. The overseers, they've been trying to get in through the stairwell. Please, please help us. They, they want to hurt the little ones and the mothers. Apukan said, the side of the reptilian face bruised and bloody, with an expertly but hurriedly done bandage over the eye. Mixie, go secure the stairwell door. Leave the force if necessary. The sergeant snapped. He motioned at Buxton and Kikiki. You two with me. Roger that, Mixie said, stepping out. Where is the stairwell door? Half a dozen beings pointed to the right where Mixie turned, heading down the hallway and putting something out of his equipment belt. Who's in charge? Sergeant asked. She's in the back. There's little ones here. Potlings, chick, squirmlings. The pukan said bandage said, Come, come. Are you here to help us? A being asked. Please save us, another said. Don't let them kill us, another said. Buxton swallowed twice, trying to keep from being overwhelmed by the pleas of Sakor as the pukan led the three armored beings into the Neo-Sapien pediatrics ward. Little faces were pressed against the glass doors. Glass windows showed dozens of full child pods. In one, a dozen podlings were staring curiously at the trio as they moved past. Sergeant Lacker here. Same over the radio. Go ahead, Sergeant said. Had an ambulance crew come out, going to bust me up with melee weapons. Got them calmed down. They say they'll drive the ambulance and help. One of them is terrified that they'll be in trouble. They had to kill a couple Anklelands who killed about half the ambulance crews, Lacar reported. Should I have them get ready for evacs? Send some Neo-Sapient Maternity Ward, then some to the Neo-Sapient Pediatrics Ward, the sergeant ordered. 
have the vehicle drivers check out their vehicles. It's 18-click run to the refugee site. Roger that. Help incoming, and they're in uniform. No lang to land, Blackar said. Blackar out. The leader, I was an ikiki female, her feathers removed, dressed in a paperwork gown. She spoke to Sergeant. Ikiki stood next to him, moving reassuringly. A brood carrier came out of an office, her eyes wide, her fur wet from tears, her mammaries swollen with milk. She moved over to Vuxton and rubbed against him, making distressed mewling noises. Scary, scary, potling scared, she crooned. Vuxton patted her, reassuring her, making sure that she could see his face. The ambulance crew showed up, nearly twenty of them, and Sergeant began giving them orders, lower the sick or incubator children into the ambulance, as many as they could get in, throw out anything unnecessary blocking the way or taking up space. The ambulance crews nodded along, showing signs of high distress but still trying to push through it. Some were crying, others like their brains had been shut down and they were grateful for the big human giving orders. Others looked frightened, but responded to the human's voice. Sergeant Lacker here, came over the radio. Ahead, Lacker, the sergeant said. Got two Navy medic dropships inbound. I'll ferry the children to the CSFE, Hope. They're gonna load a jump-out system, Lacker said. They're coming in fast, empty bays. They'll be here in ten. The sergeant turned to look at Vuxton and Kiki-Ki. You two, help me get these people into the elevator. People? He called us people, Vuxton thought to himself. Sergeant, got a stairwell door welded shut, Mixie reported. Coming back. Negative, I want you in the elevator. We're going to be ferrying people down. Pistol only, Sergeant said. Roger, Mixie said. Vuxton helped move frightened brood carriers to the elevator, most of them with tiny podlings holding on to the brood catter's very fur. Their tails were under their bodies to shield, hide, and comfort the little podlings holding on. Navy 1 and Navy 2 have landed. They're dropping Purr Boy crates and Good Boy kennel for us, Lacar said as the Vuxton moved forth the group of brew carriers to the elevator. He'd taken to giving them warm blankets to wrap themselves in the poddings in. Send up a fighter and tell them to configure the for fur, tail, and face rescue mode. The sergeant said, put the others on guard duty. Purr Boy per ambulance, two in our transport. Buxton wondered what a Fido, a good boy, a purr boy, and a kitty kitty were. Keep going, everyone. Remain calm, Sergeant said. Again, the subsonic warning. It happened every time Sergeant spoke. Help? Love? The brood carrier, holding hands with another, little podlings peeking out through the long, soft, silky tail fur. Yes, help and love, Buxton said, reaching out and rubbing their faces. Humans help and love. Follow. The elevator opened and revealed a large canine next to Mixie. It was furiously wagging its tail and had an expression on its face that looked like a goofy to Vuxton, its tongue hanging out. The brood carriers keening in alarm at the blood coating inside the elevator. The podlings vanished into the fur. Fido, help, the canine said. Fido, good boy. Got a grest coming up. This thing is covered in blood, Mixie said. I can help, Vuxton said. He whirled and ran to the cleaning closet, grabbing a quick cleaner. He ran back, stepping into the elevator and triggering it. It made a high-pitched whine, making the brood carriers cry out and hide their faces in their hands. The blood streamed for a moment and then dissolved, leaving an even clickmixy clean. Good boy, good boy, the big canine said, wagging its tail. God, little littles. 
said, yeah, I'll use it if we get hit again, Mixie said. Buxton showed him how to trigger it and went out. The fighter, good boy, was standing between half a dozen brood carriers. They were all petting his fur, looking at it in wonder. Poddings were peeking out, some giggling, others squeaking in interest. Follow, good boy, softies, follow, the fido said, going into the elevator. Three of the brood carriers looked at Vuxen, and then the nervous but curious. They had stopped crying and keening, but were unsure what to do. He's a good boy, he will protect the podlings, Vuxen reassured them. Human, he pointed at Mixty, will protect. Good boy, soft, one of the brood carriers said wonderingly, reaching out to pet Fido. Human love? Another asked, looking nervously at the elevator. Yes, Buxton said, nodding. They shuffled into the elevator, one reaching out bravely to touch the human's armored chest. Warm, she said, and rubbed the side of her face in Mixie's chest, and leaning against him. Nixie put his arm protectively around her, his pistol in the other hand. Love, the brood carrier said. The elevator doors closed. Buxton went back to work as the evacuation continued. Recall message all. Enemy is overwhelming numbers. Planetary landings underway. Space combat is heavy at this time. Orbital support is limited. Air superiority is by area when possible. All commanders secure area of operations. Navy rescue are loading. Estimated turnaround time 14 hours. Ground commanders are permitted to commandeer the civilian transports to move civilian refugees. Ground commanders of Captain Ohio are permitted to offer services to civilian medical workers or other necessary fields. Hold what you've got. Attack when enabled. It will be done. Nothing follows. 15th Space Fleet, requesting reinforcements, all branches, all service, all military and paramilitary forces. Nothing follows. Rentalek sat in the nest made up of soft, warm blankets, sitting in beside the two brood carriers, stroking them gently as they slept fitfully. It kept feeling like some phantom was plucking at the inside of her bones, a feeling obviously disturbed at brood carriers, but fear and stress had exhausted them and few times the ship had shuddered in response to something, but Brentelek had no idea the cause. Twice the lights had dimmed and come back on. There was a chime at the door, and she looked up. May I come in? The human female asked through the intercom. Yes, Brentelek answered. The door slid open to show the figure in armor. The visor was clear, and Brentelek could see that it was the human female, this one with a face completely made of skin. You are a Talcon, right? The female asked. Yes, Brentelek answered. Are you able to function? The female asked. Yes, Brentelek answered. The human female was huge and she was felt slightly intimidated. Good, I need your help. There's two of the ones like this ones in the next room screaming, the female said. They are frightened, Brentelek said. Can you help? The female asked. Seeing humans just frightens them more. I will help, Brentelek said. Do you perform the service of your own free will? The female asked. Of course, of course, brood carriers need me, Brentelek said, feeling somewhat offended. Follow me, the human female seemed mollified. It was only three doors down when the door opened and Brentelek could hear the brood carriers calling out for help, their voices gone high-pitched, calling out to any token nearby to help them. Brentelek could see the little podlings holding on to the seven brood carriers' fur. 
Two were crying out, swollen with unborn podlings. Rendelek rushed in, pushing her face against the oldest-looking one's face, her hands on either side of the brood carrier's face. She started moving her head back and forth, rubbing the crying, terrified brood carrier with her own facial fur, making sure to rub the whiskers against the brood carrier's. Slowly, the big, older brood carrier calmed down, and the others calmed down with her. Rendelek turned to look at the human. You cannot leave brood carriers alone. They become frightened too easily unless they're at home. The lights dimmed and the ship shuddered slightly. I tried sitting with them, but they just got worse, the human female said. You are not Tolkien, Brentlick said. They will need to stay with me. The human was quiet for a long moment. Right before Brentlick was about to say something, to see if the human understood her, the human motioned. All right, it's cleared and logged. You'll have additional food, the human said. She paused. A kind of place to the gestator, uh, brood carriers prefer. Homes, Brentlick answered. She looked at the brood carriers, who were still making noises of distress, but had stopped crying out for help. Come, come with me, I'll protect you. Oh, I mean like forest, plains, caves, what? The human asked. Savannah, snow, grassland, plains... Old, dry forests with big trees, lots of plants, soft dirt, Brentlick said, wondering why the human wanted to know so much. Follow, carefully follow. Podlings, a brood carrier said, moving her tail slightly so that Brentlick could see half a dozen podlings holding tight to her. Humans won't hurt the podlings, Brentlick reassured the brood carriers. Humans love podlings, another asked. Yes, Brentlick said, hoping that she wasn't lying. Brood carrier started repeating the word love over and over. The human had moved ahead, gone inside Brentlick's room. When Brentlick stepped in, she stopped, staring in shock. It had looked like the room impossibly opened up into an ancient forest, piles and scattered puddles of leaves, massive tree trunks covered in moss, soft dirt, large stones with moss in them. It looked like her own two brood carriers were looking out the burrow dug into the roots of a massive tree. Like that? The human of email asked. The brood carrier saw the impossible room and started chirping and crooning eagerly. Yes? How? Advanced enhanced virtual reality, the human female said. It's used to calm. They can go in. In, in, loved ones, Brentlick said. The brood carriers hurried in, some stopping to rub against the rocks, and one set of podlings on the moss-covered rock in the patch of sun. It's configured for IR and UV light about what your star gives out. Your people are from the second habitable planet, right? The human asked. Brentlick just nodded. Okay, you can get more blankets here. The human showed Brentlick how to tap the tree trunk to reveal the control panel for the dispenser that Brentlick had been too afraid to check. Your allocation had been increased so that you can care for the others. It may take a bit sometimes. The nanoforges are running hard right now. How is this possible? Brentlick asked, rubbing the tree trunk. It felt real. We are not wearing headsets. Even it smelled like an old forest. The podlings were hiding in the leaves, giggling. A-E-V-R, the human said. Hard light constructs were the other tricks. It's perfectly safe. I ordered your blankets. They'll be here in a few minutes. Your food rations are increased. Just type in what you need. I said it for arboreal creatures. Brentlick just nodded. The human paused at the door. I'm going to maglock it. Just use your poor pad prints to open it. You'll be safe in here. Thank you, human, Brentlick said. Thank you for your service to your people. 
the human replied. The door closed and she was gone, trees replacing her. Brent licks all the two blankets land in the dispenser slot. Both looked like fuzzy moss and smelled new. They were warm when she handed them to the brood carriers that they all started rubbing them. And a pile of bleeds, bottlings giggled. She felt like twisting phantom plucking in her bones. The brood carriers and the podlings didn't notice. First Contact Chapter 57 Buxton Four hours had gone by at a rapid pace for Buxton, convincing frightened new mothers gestators to get in the elevator, carrying child pods to the elevator, back and forth constantly. Fear had been replaced by hope in the injured, sick, and recently given birth, or recently born Neo-Sapiens. Twice more he had heard the scream the Neo-Sapiens had cried out, ducking their heads, hiding their eyes. But the humans soothed them, hurried them. Fido kept licking, nuzzling, letting beings rub his fur, carrying pottling cradles with his mouth but the handle, moving constantly through the crowd of beings all waiting to get into the elevator. Four hours. Four hours of work. Buxton couldn't believe the apparent size of the Navy medevacs, each able to carry over a hundred of the Neo-Sapiens. The nurses and other medical personnel went with the medivacs, so did some of the ambulance crews. Afterwards, Buxton helped a new human, this one in armor with a red crescent on the one side of their chest and a cross on the other, remove supplies from the ambulances and put it in the back of the overseer's security vehicle. The new one, Verita, was differently shaped armor than wine slightly more when he moved. Sergeant and the others kept referring to Verita as Doc. Now that he was helping injured Neo-Sapiens out of the wreckage of a building, the humans were able to move great weights and structural beams and huge chunks of plascrete out of the way. All of the humans' armor made slight whining noises as they cleared the rubble away. The poor boys, Kitty Kitty, had turned out to be small felines that wound around beings, rubbing against them, making a purring rumble, still like a sleeping poddling, making soothing noises and speaking in soft, small words. Three were surrounding nearly twenty podlings, all of them with scrapes and bruises that the kitty kitties had covered with a fast-drying foam sealant on their mouths. The podlings were no longer crying in fear and pain, but instead were petting and rubbing the kitty kitties, some of them even starting to giggle. The kitty kitty would rub against the face of the injured and wounded beings, their fur left behind a gel rather than hair, the gel rapidly hardening into a protective layer over the wound. The Fidos, all three of them, moved through the rubble. Buxton had watched their fur vanish in a ripple, revealing armored chassis. At first, the Fido had massive canine heads with heavy jaws full of gleaming conical teeth. Sergeant had ordered them to reconfigure back into normal search and rescue mode. The fur had been reappeared, and the menacing dangerous heads had been replaced by goofy-looking, harmless-appearing canine heads. Buxton marveled at the wonders even as he worked hard. A Fido would bark out as his visor would translate. The kitty-kitty purboys would disappear into the gaps and radio back if they found a survivor. The purboy had radioed, Little ones, little ones, lots of little ones! And when Doc had heaved the huge slab of plasticrete away from what must have been a weight tons, it revealed the scene that made Usta stagger away, open her face shield and vomit on the twisted wreckage. Nearly two dozen brood carriers were dead, crushed by the plasticrete. Looking out from between the bodies, the podlings were various ages, 
some barely the size of Wixton's paw, others big enough to hold half a dozen of the tiny ones in their arms and hold them close. The brood carriers had pushed the potlings under the tables and put their own bodies between the walls and the potlings. Doc had rushed over to the brood carrier, kneeling down, his armored fingers sinking into the massive rent in his side. Need a stretcher here, Doc called out. Wilkson had been alarmed the first time he saw it. Now he knew that the Doc's fingers were full of surgical tools and that he was trying to save the brood mother's life. Brood mommy said be quiet, quiet, the potlings half Wilkson's size said, tears running out of her eyes. You did good, Wilkson said, kneeling down and stroking the side of her head. She was an immature brood carrier, her large eyes wide with fear. You did real good. Mixie and Donovan ran up, carrying a stretcher. Wuxton helped lead the little podlings down the excavated vehicle, urging them inside. He helped arrange them so that the badly injured brood carrier could be put inside one the stretcher. She opened her eyes and reached to pet some of the smaller podlings, crooning at them. We're full, Lakar yelled. The doors closed. Everyone on, we're going to the e-back point, Sergeant called out. Buxton watched from the next heavy laser cannon as the vehicle's van spied up and lifted the vehicle up. It smoothly moved away from the collapsed building that Buxton could see dozens of humans in armor working on. Search and rescue, Buxton thought, looking for people to help. Not Neo-Sapiens, not by our species name, not any ugly words that we were called, but people to the humans. In the middle of a fight to protect the planet, the humans send in beings from the military whose job is to rescue people. It was almost frightening to Vuxen. They moved with such surety, such quickness, throwing themselves completely into the job, holding nothing back, charging into danger. It seemed insane. Buxton resisted the urge to look back at the sky. The entire sky was covered in clouds and looked as if they were burning. His armor visor somehow edited it out, but ash and drops of thick with vaporized metal were falling from the sky, covering everything in a sickly black substance. The sun had risen while he'd been helping excavate the hospital, but all it seemed was light the entire sky on fire. There was a rumbling explosions in the distance that vibrated the truck. Buxton didn't look. The last time he had looked, he had seen beams of light striking down from the heavens to blow a massive ship into pieces and then keep shooting the pieces. The executor ride control vehicle was starting to shudder, shake, a screaming coming from one of the fans. The screaming cut out and the vehicle seemed to get sluggish, like it was sliding on its thick syrup. This thing's about had it, Mixie said. Use what we got, Sergeant snapped back, his voice tense. Crowd ahead, Lago said. By the digital messiah, his voice was full of horror. St. Doss, help us, Doc whispered. Two Fidos out, left and right, Sergeant snapped. Combat configuration. Buxton watched in shock as the fur and goofy-looking head melted away from the Fido, revealing the four-legged heavy-armed frame with that menacing-looking head and a weapon lift from the compartment in its back. It was a triple-barreled and had a line of ammunition linked together by a belt going from the weapon to what looked like a puddle of liquid metal. Killboy mode. They both growled and jumped off. Buxton wondered why they'd been put into that configuration. Then he heard it, a roaring, screaming, roaring wail, like all the damned souls in the afterlife. 
No words, no individual voices, just one unpraised howl of hatred and agony. He had never heard anything like it in his entire life. It was a noise that made his fur all try to stand on end inside this form-fitting armor. Plotting route, Sergeant yelled, yanking the hovercraft around a corner. As they rounded the corner, Buxton saw them. Overseers, thousands, tens of thousands of them, their clothing blood-covered, ragged, torn, dirty. They blurred into one big mass of weapon-waving arms, empty eye sockets, wild reddened eyes, bloody jowls, all waning at the top of their lungs as they galloped down the street. Buxel saw frightened Isakai lunge out of the public transit shelter, only to be grabbed by the overseers and ripped at. Suddenly, dismembered, the torn and shredded body dropped and pounded under the hooves. He would have thrown up before he had even awoken by the armor human in the middle of the night. He would have been sick. Now all he did was turn away. He couldn't help. Nobody could. There is only enough for one. Some of the crowd collapsed. Half of the crowd turned on each other. The rest was still running. The sergeant gunned the engines, the screaming coming back as he reactivated the dying hover fan to put on the speed. The hovercraft howled down the empty streets. Donovan suddenly jumped on, turning mid-air and landing on top of the armored bay, bringing his rifle out from behind him and holding his arms up. Many, many chasing, Donovan said, his voice eerily calm. The vehicle started to shudder as it went faster. He saw Lacar grab the laser cannon's handles, thumbing the switch to bring it back to life. SAR-17 Delta to SAR Command, over, Buxton heard on his headset, Sergeant's voice. This is SAR Command, over, a new voice said. We got about a million rabbit cows in the street. We're getting hemmed in. Have a load of civilian injured, please advise, Sergeant said. Lethal force authorized. Protect your cargo. SAR command out, came the terse reply. You heard it. I can load. Troopers, if you cannot fire, duck down and hold on. This is going to be a butchery, Sergeant said. Troopers, keep the sights clear. Stay in the vehicle for the love of St. Patton. Buxton activated his rifle. He saw on his visor the word updating appear. In two seconds, it went away and his weapon came online. There was a small, semi-transparent window in his upper right showing the rifle was pointing at the ground, showing what the rifle saw. His stalking reticle was at the bottom of his visor. The rifle carried 150 rounds in a magazine he slid in, snapping the bottom as he locked it in. Omni Messiah, protect us, Lacan said softly, lowering the barrel. They've gone mad. There is only enough for one. The scream, echoing in Vuxton's brain, was suddenly countered by another one. Then you will die alone. Lacar said something lost in the twins' screams and hit the trigger on the cannon, aiming it low in front of the hover truck. Donovan on top of the truck, behind firing his rifle in tight, controlled bursts. Buxton crouched down next to the door panel and had slit up in front of him. He leveled his rifle over the door panel, meaning like he had been taught. He chinned a piece of gum, chewing on it. Contact, Sergeant called out. The Fidos began firing, a solid shafts of light as bullets vanished into the bottom of the duel, side-by-side guns. 
Links of copper shells flew out from the guns as they moved back and forth in tight little arcs. The laser cannon was firing. The red light burned and eye-watering. The sounds of weapons were lost in the wading of the crowd. Captain Veritar to all units, bio, 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 came the call. All units, all units, bio, 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 all units, bio, bio, bio. Buxton felt something shifted his armor. A needle poked his lower back. Over his liver, another one put the back of his neck. The pain vanished before he could do much more than gasp. His ears pop and he felt the air rushing around his nose. NP Khan Online appeared on his visor. Nuclear, biological, chemical, automatic radiation nanite. The vehicle went through an intersection. The Fidos were standing in the road, their guns firing. The overseers were shattered, blowing into rags of flesh ten, fifteen deep as the light of the Fido's double-barreled guns swept the screaming, rampaging crowd. If he was a single wave of tsunami, the crowd still moving forward as if the deaths in front gave them room to run. Buxton leveled his rifle, putting the trigger, shooting a small group by the side of the building that was smashing at the plastocrete. They burst when the weapon hit them. He swallowed thickly. What about our passengers, Doc? Sergeant snapped as if he wasn't driving a hovercraft through a slurry of what was once been part of a crowd. The hovercraft was through the intersection, the Fidos running over the hover truck, the barrels of the guns faint red and smoking. That car stopped firing the laser cannon. Fidos went to positive pressure generation, pure boys are seeding. Doc snapped, uploading biosample genome 1, genome synthing 2 through 8. Donovan started firing again, shooting behind the truck. Without the laser cannon firing, the vehicle picked up speed, Sergeant cutting out so that the web vibration eased up. Base sealed, Doc called out, uploading sequence 7. Eight clicks, Sergeant called out. It was a hell of a ride for Buxton. Three more times, the humans used the laser cannon, and the fighters fired their heavy, dual-barreled weapons, and Buxton did something he'd never considered before. Not ever. He pressed the firing stud. An overseer popped like cheap balloons. Leatherneck lion coming up, Sergeant yelled. The hover truck was pouring smoke out from the fans. Buxton saw his weapon go from safe mode as the truck slowed down. The fighters were on board, long alloy tongues hanging out and they made panting noises. The heat was coming off of them like they were whining about slushy as they cooled off. Ports opened and heat sinks to dissipate the heat. Doc kept calling out genome sequence, number, and calling out upload during the time kept moving. The truck moving by the group of humans walking into the city. These humans were massive, towering as tall as a truck in some cases. The other cases smaller and only slightly taller than the door of the hover truck, which was still floating on its air cushion. The big ones had heavy cannons lifted up from their back and smaller ones carrying rifles. They were all jet black, bright green eyes, moving with a purpose. There were some friendly sounding call-outs of weird words that Buxton heard. Words like ground powder and army rat and sucket and cleatherneck and jarhead and crayon eater, with lots of friendly waves from the big black humans. Few of them called out, hi, Fido, and the Fidos barked happily. Finally, the hover truck slowed, almost coming to a stop. Massive robots, maybe humans, waved the truck through and it moved slowly, barely able to stay up on the two smoking fans to stop next to other vehicles. 
Buxton saw wounded humans and other beings taken out of the vehicles. One human missing both legs, the ragged bloody stumps extending past the shattered armor. He was singing as he was hover truck went and gave the staring vixen a gesture that consisted of a closed fist with the opposable thumb straight up. Figures in the same kind of armor as Doc ran up, opening the back. There was a roar and three of the big black heavy dropships lifted up off the ground. Buxton looked around. His fellow troopers were kneeling in the open crew bay, heads down, hands in their laps or on the floor, their rifles on their backs. They were all weeping. Buxton helped carry the podlings on the other wounded in. When he was done, he sought out Sergeant. Uston had curled up, rocking back and forth, holding her legs tight to her chest. A human was knelt down, visor transparent, talking softly. Sergeant, Buxton asked. As Trooper Buxton, Sergeant asked. Can you take me somewhere private? I can take my helmet off, Buxton asked softly. Follow me, there's a tent over there, Sergeant said. Buxton followed, going through the airlock, the mist pouring down him as he went through. On the other side, it was empty and Sergeant stopped looking at Vuxton. Are you alright, Trooper Vuxton? Sergeant asked. I need a minute. I need to do something, Vuxton said, moving up next to the Sergeant. One second, Trooper, Sergeant said. He took both of Vuxton's weapons and then the vibro knife. Okay, go ahead. You can remove your helmet. Vuxton removed his helmet, stood there for a moment, crying silently, and then threw his head back and screamed. Sergeant knelt down and wrapped his arms around Vuxton as he screamed. It's okay, Trooper. It's okay. Let it out. Get it all out, Sergeant said, holding Vuxton tight. After a minute, Vuxton stopped. Sergeant held him for a second and then slowly let go. Vuxton stood straight up, wiping off his eyes and then put his helmet back on. Are you ready, Trooper? Sergeant asked. I think so, Vuxton said. My family... The CSFE Mercy jumped out of system three hours ago. Buxton felt his knees go weak with relief. I am ready. There are other podlings still trapped in the city, he said. That's the spirit trooper, Buxton, Sergeant said. Confederate Space Force Vessel Mercy Report Arrived in the local name system. All sapiens and injured on board survived jump. Use string drive due to necessary for speed. We will be evacuating passengers to TSF Refugee Base Ontario. Then we'll be returning for more. Multiple Xeno species have volunteered for service to help care for members of their own species. A dash is a list. Mercy is our strength. Nothing follows. Come, beloved ones, come, bodlings, Rentalek said gently, motioning to the brood carriers. She had twenty to look after, and after a hundred podlings, she had half a dozen purboys following her. The podlings loved the little robotic felines, and used more of that amazing hard light to simulate soft fur. They toddled after them, some of the older podlings carrying them. The brood carriers and the podlings followed Brentlet out of the dropship, blinking in the light of the strange sun. The place was in a forest, dense and shelters put in between the trees amongst the ferns. A few of the humans were walking around and Brentlet saw her first human outside of armor. They were massively built, even the females. They moved with a careful grace, looking down in the ferns. One moved over to Brentlick, giving her a close lip up with curve with the mouth that the human equivalent of a smile. Just like Brentlick, it made her feel better. Welcome to RB Ontario. She checked her list. Brentlick, is it? Did I say that right? 
Better than the overseers, Rentlux said. She made an encompassing gesture. These are the brood carriers and podlings I have been asked to care for, she looked around. Is this forest real? The human nodded, another similarity to her people that Printlick appreciated. Yes, it was chosen for your people. Right now, we have all divided all of you up by species to ensure that you get the correct medical care, food, and supplies. The female held out a hand. Brentlick took it gently, rubbing her palms against the human's thickly calloused hands. I am a major Wesco, and I will be your liaison and primary medical provider. I thank you, Brentlick said. The podlings, the brood carriers, are tired. We have ten set up and similar to burrows for them. We have set up some soft plastic cloth fences to keep the podlings from wandering off. The human major said. She looked down at Brentlick. I am happy you have chosen to serve your people. Brentlick sighed from one set of overseers to another. The next words made her look up in confusion. You are brave to volunteer for citizenship now. Your people will depend on you and your leadership. I will look for you for guidance and how to help them, Major said. Me? Lead? Brentlick asked. The human nodded. Citizen carries with it a heavy burden. I am thankful you gave agreed to shoulder it. Your people, your brood carriers, your males and females, your podlings, need someone to speak for them, to tell us what you need. They need you to act as a leader, to help us help you. Brentlick's head swam and her knees buckled. The human quickly knelt, steadying Brentlick with her strong hands. Just all caught up to you, Major asked. Brentlick nodded. I understand. I'm here if you need me. Major looked at the podling standing next to a tree, a kitty kitty held in her arms, a bandage over a missing eye, a smile on her face as the kitty kitty purred. We need to get up. They need us. Brentlick nodded and straightened up herself. I'm pleased to be of help, she said, staring at the podling. The podling, who had lost an ear and an eye to a maddened overseer, shyly waved, her other arm holding a limp but purring kitty kitty. End of chapter. And that, my friends, concludes this dose of science fiction fun. I hope that you enjoyed. And if you did, please don't forget to support the author from the link down below. But if you want to support this channel, there are links as well down below for you to help with. But the easiest way would be to share this video. And if you are so inclined, subscribe as well. I will see you all in the next episode. And I hope that you all have a fantastic time until then. Cheers.